0: Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: Welcome to the Table. We discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is faith, work, and economics. Well, actually, it's about made to flourish, and my guest is Tom Nelson. Who is pastor in Kansas City? That's right. That's right. He, and the the church is Christ Community Church. Christ Community Church. But uh, the reason he's with us here is well, he's a Dallas grad first of all, and then <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, Men grad from TED. So you you tried to get credentials from everywhere, right? Uh, you know, I want to
2: place my bets well.
1: <laughs> and then uh, he served on the board of TEDs as well, and. Uh, but he runs an organization called Made to Flourish. So that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about pastors who are committed to what we have called whole life discipleship mm-hmm. and and explain what that is. So tell us a little bit about Made to Flourish. Where did it come from and how's it structured that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, well, Daryl, it comes out of my own failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a pastor, I really spent Uh, A lot of my early pastoral work not really committed to whole life discipleship. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was really focused on doing Sunday well but not helping my people do Monday well. And out of that experience, uh, Made to Flourish was birthed just almost four years ago to help pastors be more effective in bringing faith work and economic integration to their congregations and their communities. Mm-hmm. So, our hope is, uh, as someone has said, to put a dent uh, across the nation in helping pastors really be more faithful and fruitful and equipping people for Monday.
1: Okay, so um, that's interesting because I thought. Church was all about Sunday, so uh.
2: <laughs> many churches are. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, so let's
1: talk about are. let's develop that a little bit. So so, equipping people for Monday. Let's what what is that? What does that involve? And and more importantly, perhaps, uh, the pastors who you see. What kind of transitions do they have to make in order to make that happen?
2: Yeah, pastors uh, often have to think through. First, I'd say a theological shift, Mm -hmm. because if it's going to be sustainable and God honoring and fruitful, there has to be a deep, robust theology that drives a pastor. Mm -hmm. I trust, right? Because we're people of the book, right? So it is a reexamination of the centrality of work. I mean, it's not the only thing, Mm -hmm. but work is a very foundational theme Mm -hmm. in the scriptures. So it's a re connection with Genesis, other texts of Scripture that really say, hey, well, this work thing, you know, we were created with work in mind Mm -hmm. and defining work not as simply compensation, but contribution and really having a broader paradigm of what work is and how it fits into God's redemptive story. If we have a theological shift and a theological conviction, then there's all kinds of tributaries of language change, praxis, and a cultural change that really helps people Really honor God on Monday in profound ways.
1: Okay, so let's think about that. I mean, the last time I looked at my seminary curriculum, it didn't have a course on workology.
2: Workology.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Workaholism. No, no, you don't no, do no, idolatry no, of work. No, no, no. The, the study of work, yes, right? Like we don't. Yeah, yes. yeah.
1: and so, uh, and another word that I think we're slow to come to grips with that's actually a pretty important concept in Scripture is the idea of stewardship. Yes. So, uh, so let's talk – Let's like some groundwork here uh, theologically. Um, let's talk about where does the theology of work come from and, uh, and how important is the
2: idea of stewardship? Yeah, they're both, I think, really – it's beautifully said. I think they're both very closely tied together, mm-hmm. Gerald. Okay. Uh, but I do think like a book or a movie, we, we have got to grasp with great depth the opening, mm-hmm. the foundation. And the scriptures have great – Coherence and continuity of the thread of work, but we really got to make sure we have a good grasp of the early chapters of Genesis, mm-hmm. which is true for all dimensions That's of life. Right, right. right, it's the foundation. Yeah. But when we uh, begin to really carefully look at what Genesis one through three frame, we see that God presents Himself as a worker. I mean, this is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. There was like there are many ways God could, could present Himself. But right. The opening. Introduction is God as a worker, right? Right. Eugene Peterson has said, I think, really said that uh, Genesis one through two is a journal of work. Yeah, you should do creation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But I mean, that's something I I never thought of that in my studies is like Genesis one and two is really a journal of work, right? Right. And I think Eugene's onto something Mm -hmm. there. So I mean, we see God as a worker, as we Mm -hmm. know that the first emphasis is God working, and we see God working, and then we're made in His image. And in context, the primary thrust is. Humans working. And I think uh, John Kilner has done a brilliant job of capturing the sense of image bearing, mm-hmm. right? Or likeness, this demuth, right. or mm. the sense of Salem. Mm-hmm. And that it's connection reflection. So when we understand human anthropology in Genesis, that we are made in God's image as image bearers is very foundational to all of our thinking. Right. That it involves deep relational
0: mm-hmm. dynamics
2: in a Trinitarian God and his mm-hmm. image, but it also does a sense of reflection. And one of the primary ways we reflect God as image bearers in Genesis in the context is imaging his work, his creativity, his culture ba- making. Okay. So uh, that's a great
1: start. And, and so when we think about the image, you know, one of the things that, that we often talk about is the way in which he's made us male and female in that image. So he's made us to cooperate with one another, people who are created to be um, both different and complementary right. to one another. Uh, so that they are able to work together. There's a stewardship responsibility that comes with that, and so there's a lot of labor and creativity on the one hand, but there also is a – how can I say it, an accountability. And, a, and the, um, yeah. uh, the, the core question here, I think, perhaps thinking about it this in light of our culture, is um, people put a lot of stock in ownership. But ownership and stewardship are not quite the same thing. So let's talk about the difference between those two.
2: Yeah, and I I, I love your idea of stewardship because we think of Genesis two fifteen. Mm-hmm. You have this place where Adam is put in the garden, as you know, to what to cultivate and to keep it. Mm-hmm. So the nurturing nature of cultivation of the mm-hmm. earth and culture, right, mm-hmm. as a gardener, but also. The protection, right? Mm-hmm. The, and that nurture and protection is a really great foundation of human stewardship within creation, right? Mm-hmm. We're stewarding, we're both nourishing and protecting. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's almost like a shepherding metaphor. Yeah, right? it's like, right, right? my next it's kind question. Yeah, so I love that. Yeah. And um, obviously, the sense that when you are the created versus the creator, mm-hmm. the created is not the owner, mm-hmm. right? It's not the one who designed it. So, right. I mean, even the sense of Genesis one and two. Right away, there's the distinction between creator and the created, and that gives us our sense that we are accountable and stewards mm-hmm. to the one who made us. So, I mean, that sense of ownership only ultimately God is owner, and the Psalms say that, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So, um, the, the impact of that is
1: is profound in all kinds of directions. But we'll, I'll leave that for now. Let, let's let's turn our attention. So, so this is the way it was designed. <laughs> and then there's the way it, it came to be, yeah. if I can say it that way. So that's obviously Genesis three. Um, uh, 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 there's a British have a great expression. Uh, it, it's called uh, they've they've thrown a spanner in a and, spanner, yeah, which is a wrench. And uh, and so Genesis three is kind of the spanner chapter yeah. of the Bible, isn't it? I mean, it's a it's a it's
2: monkey wrench in the works. It's a big monkey wrench. Yeah, And the way I see it is that Genesis 1 and 2, you have a perfectly integral Trinitarian God with a perfect integral creation. And the crown of that is humans, right? And Genesis 3, you have a massive disintegration of that design. When sin and death enter the world, there's massive – it's not only a wrench, it's massive disintegration. Mm-hmm. At whatever level, depends on your theological framework, how bad it is. Yeah. But what I love most about – the continuity between Genesis 1 through 3, and this has real practical bearings. So uh, I, I think we both love to engage in rich theology and it matters, but it does have tributaries of application to our life mm-hmm. every day. But what you have in the cultural mandate in Genesis one twenty eight, we have a very strong idea of being fruitful. This is the Hebrew word para. Mm-hmm. And when you trace this idea of fruitfulness, it has two primary thrusts. One is procreativity, which is having babies, mm-hmm. which makes sense in the marriage at the end of Genesis 2, right? but also productivity. And that's really the main theme. Uh, Moses will use it as in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. as the fruit of the womb and the fruit of the land, mm-hmm. right? The, the sense of – and so what happens is Genesis 3, right away you have the vandalization of para, because fascinating, isn't it, that this idea of being fruitful, being procreative and productive is right away there's what pain and childbirth that's mm-hmm. the disintegration of para mm-hmm. and also there's thorns and thistles mm-hmm. which is the disintegration of para of productivity so I'm just saying both of those have profound implications in the work we do every day and mm-hmm. the relationships we have right 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 the, the the pain and childbirth sometimes there's pain in marriage right, right right there's the relational pain right the dysfunction but also the work pain yep. of thorns and thistles yeah so we don't live in the world God designed and. Our work, particularly and relationships, are deeply uh, challenging because of sin.
1: So we have to uh, work to overcome uh, the impact of the fall, and uh, and yet at the same time, our work is designed, at least when we pursue it well in a way that that cultivates and leads to and th- and I'm this is a very slow process working to the name of the organization so that leads to flourishing to flourishing and now I know some people who will go human flourishing that's an interesting concept but where in the world do I see that in the bible i mean I, that's a, not a phrase that you know jumps to mind as being you know on the top 100 words of the bible so so explain to us, how how the idea of flourishing is a biblical concept?
2: Yeah, we might not have that exact word, okay. but I think it's first of all centered in the goodness of God in creation, um, and notice the emphasis of teeming and fruitfulness and vibrancy. This is this is woven through the creation narrative. And then let's just go to Jesus right away. Mm -hmm. We think about when Jesus says the thief in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy But I have come to give you life and have it abundantly. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of the abundant life, if we understand it canonically, Mm -hmm. the richness, is that Christ came to redeem Mm -hmm. all of life, right? Mm -hmm. And that when we align our life with him and the goodness of what he's done in redemption, that we do flourish. Now, that's not the same thing as just material affluence. Right. So we, got, right, we right. can't be we got confused be careful about the concept. But there is right. a sense that what does it mean to flourish in relationships? And I think Brian Fickard and others have really helped us understand that poverty, ultimately, the opposite of flourishing, right. impoverishment, mm-hmm. is deeply tied to relational impoverishment, mm-hmm. not just physical lack.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Because it isn't that the creation doesn't provide us with the resources that are able to take Correct. care of us. But the distribution of those resources it's, it's is out less, of whack. Yes. <laughs>
2: yes. And the inequality. And, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So
1: um, uh, the, we could go in a variety yes, of directions now, <laughs> and, and I, I, I will uh, rein myself in. Um, so so I, I like to tell people you, just because you don't have a word doesn't mean you don't have the concept. Yeah. Um, and the example I like to use this, I actually use it to illustrate something else is, you know, the cowboys are going up to the frozen tundra to melt the cheese heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. Okay, and and so I ask people, you know, I ask my students, well, what is that sentence about? And uh, you know, and they'll respond, football. And, and then I have to retort, well, what kind of football? Because yeah. it's American football, you know, not the football the way the world normally talks about it. And yeah. and then I go. How do you know that that word's not anywhere in that sense. Correct. Correct. So uh, a concept can be elicited without a a specific term tied to it. It can have a variety of descriptions and a variety of ways to present it. And then what we sometimes will do is step back and actually use a term to summarize that. Right. The greatest illustration of that that we have in the scripture is, of course, the term Trinity. Yeah. You know, you will read through the entire Bible from word. Genesis 1 to 1 all the way yeah. through the end of Revelation. You will hunt for the word Trinity, and you will not find it, but you will see all kinds of concepts that talk about how um, how the Godhead
2: – Functions and operates. Yeah, and in like in the Old Testament, let's just go old because I went yeah. right away to sort of this. I know abundance. you like the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Doc. <laughs> but I mean, you think about from Torah the foundation. You have three really powerful Hebrew words mm-hmm. that capture God's design and desire for human well-being. Let's mm-hmm. just use that language. Okay. And you have in order in mm-hmm. Torah you have Shabbat, which mm-hmm. is God resting, right? right. In sense of and rest is not passivity; it's delight, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not necessarily a lack of work; it's more delight. Light Mm -hmm. in God's goodness and being in His provision. And almost reflection over what's taking place. Yes. So right away, you have this picture of Sabbath. Then, soon in Genesis 5, you have tom, tamim, this wholeness idea of Mm -hmm. blamelessness, Mm -hmm. of integralness, of wholeness. Mm -hmm. And then you have shalom. Mm -hmm. So that shalom, again, is a comprehensive sense. We see that in Jeremiah 29, right? The sense of the shalom, the Mm -hmm. flourishing of the city. So shalom might be one of the best comprehensive Old Testament words to capture the Flourishing of relationship with God, with others, and flourishing within creation. So w- one might perhaps say that flourishing
1: leads to shalom, and, and shalom is one of the goals. So if you get
2: to shalom, you've got your flourishing. Yeah, and Christ. Of course, it all focuses ultimately on Jesus, right? Right. I mean, that's the glory of redemption. It, it, what we lost in the garden, now we regain plus in the cross and the resurrection. Right. So it's centered in Christ, who allows us to flourish in great ways and that peace that He brings. So it's very gospel centered, Mm -hmm. but it has profound nook and cranny implications to human life, not just after we die, but at least how I read the scriptures that it should impact the now. Yeah, and, and I think the important
1: part of what you just raised is and I do like to make this point that Genesis 1 and 2 talk about life as it was designed to be and everything that Christ does is designed to take us
2: back to life yes. as it was designed yeah. to be. And maybe even gooder, can yeah, I just say yeah. in English? I mean there's sure. almost yeah. a sense like right. In new creation there's continuity, but maybe it's even an exclamation point. Yeah, something the greater. next level. I just don't know. It yeah, my interest. Yeah,
1: well, and I, and so the point is, uh, or a point is, and I actually think this is a way into talking about the gospel in a world that has lost its it, many of its theological assumptions. Um, you know, we we were at an event last night mm-hmm. where we were. Listening to Tim Keller talk about people right. not having the furniture to understand the Christian message, which is an interesting
2: metaphor, Good metaphor. but actual <laughs> furniture of the mind. And yeah, Lewis exactly. That once or something, exactly but, yeah, right. It was so, great, but,
1: it, but was and great. I think that's the point. So, how do you introduce the idea of the gospel in the midst of a culture that has that? That has lost its God talk, if I can say it right, that way. Right, um, And I think one of the ways to do this is for Christians to be very grounded in what it is that God did in making humanity. Yes. And th- that Genesis 1, Genesis 2 story is, I made you – to function as stewards in a garden to be creative and to be uh, not just creative, but also really to rule over, to, to manage well this creation together, male and female, in a, in a hopefully originally considered to be cooperative manner, not a competitive manner, and, and function accordingly. And that, that's like the lodestone. That Jesus Jesus redemption is designed, at least in the context of this life, to take us back to. Right, right. Um, Yeah, and and so that, if you ask why God made any person, not just Christians and et cetera, that Genesis one and
2: two bit is the answer. Yeah, and I I love how you said that, Darrell, because it seems to me the way I read Scripture is that. Let's use the word common grace mm-hmm. that is centered in creation and right. image-bearing, regardless of its defacement. Right uh, is profoundly the fertile soil in which saving grace can take root. Mm-hmm. They are connected, mm-hmm. and this is why Paul will say, you know, to the Galatians, "Do good to all, especially the household of faith." Or why Jesus will talk about, right, the rain falls and the just and the unjust. There is a sense of profound value of every human being, or love your enemies, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, there is a sense where. If we have a rich grasp of creation, we have a rich biblical anthropology that profoundly impacts how we treat our neighbor. That's regardless right, regardless who they are.
1: Exactly, and and so out of that comes all kinds of things. I mean, it's just uh, I sometimes think you know people think that salvation is just about uh, some people think that salvation is just about you know getting a ticket to heaven or right. uh, uh, the way I like to say it when I'm in a challenging mood and and speaking negatively about this I'll go. You know, salvation is not about avoiding something. Salvation is about gaining someone.
2: It's beautiful. I love the someone. Yeah, the relational. Control.
1: That's right. So you know, you reconnect to God, and in the reconnection to God, you also reconnect to the purpose of your creation, and you reconnect to the way you're relating to others, and then you know, justice becomes not an ideal – a political. Ideological term, which Mm -hmm, we've turned it into mm -hmm. because of our culture, uh, but it actually becomes a biblically rooted term that is a reflection of what it means to be made in the image of God.
2: Yeah. What I love, and I love that, and what I love to communicate to the folks I get to share with is the richness of salvation is clearly personal, but it is cosmic. You think about, you know, Paul and the groaning of creation in, in Romans. So I often frame the sense that salvation is a glorious, truth of hopefulness. It is deeply embedded in grace, but it's salvation not only from, but salvation for and to. Mm-hmm. I mean, just using some of that language right. helps people understand that yes, there is saving from the perils of sin and death forever, right? That's, That's not right. to be minimized.
1: But when you but take that out of the equation, for
2: exactly right.
1: You take that life. out of the equation, or at yeah. least you get to the point where that can be well, – maybe this is the right or best word – managed, but certainly overcome presence yeah. of the Spirit. Uh, transforming us, all of a sudden the question becomes, well, where's that taking us to? And so when I talk about this, yeah. where I'm inevitably in Ephesians 2, mm-hmm. where um, I first cite the Protestant motto just to make clear that, you know, what my credentials are in yes, yes, 2, yeah, 8, and 9. Yeah, yeah. And, and you add 10. <laughs> well, that's the point. <laughs> that's the 10 point. is the point. Yes. You know, that what is this all for? You know, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, you know, works doesn't set up the operation, it's the no. product of the operation. Yeah. And and then the first this, – this is the next point – the first example of the work that we are to walk in is this picture of reconciliation that comes at the end of chapter 2. Yeah. So that, uh, so that you see the walls of hostility are gone, Jews yeah. and Gentiles are now able to all relate to one another. Anyone who understands the history of Jews and Gentiles and their relationships to one another knows, problematic, yes. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. not exactly the smoothest relationship ever created on the earth, that kind of thing. And yet God has worked in Christ to bring peoples together who were formerly estranged. Um, and that has relational aspects to it. It has justice relationships to it, et cetera. And then, the, of course, the whole rest of the book is about how to do this and how to do this at a corporate level, not just in terms of my own personal life. So it has these cosmic dimensions, as yes. you've mentioned, which
2: which pull them out and make mm-hmm. them viable. It's. And so may I just also, you know, I love that, and and may I also say that sometimes, and if we do not have a broader Canonical interpretive framework, good works can be reduced uh in an unbiblical way mm-hmm. that, that we were created to do good works. I, th- I think about created in gen- Genesis, we were created to till the garden. I mean, good work is a big part of good works. Right, right, right. I just find people yeah. who think good works, they heard Jesus say, people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm like, how does that relate to your Monday world? Yeah. Yes, we are to care for the poor, we are to give alms, all the thing about spiritual works. Right, right. But a big part of good works, and as you know, it's the same word, right. is doing good work That's right. every day. I mean, right. that's where some, there's a disconnect, too, that God prepared me, yes, to do good works of reconciliation, love, all the things we think about giving, financial giving, caring for the poor, I mean, however you want to call the spiritual things. Uh, but God created me to accomplish tasks and purposes for the glory of God and the good of others before I was born right I mean that good work I just, I just want people to grasp that is that I I don't want to minimize those special aspects of Christian impact mm-hmm. that, because we're Christians but there is a common grace aspect of good work that is a part of that good works so I mean, yeah I, I and, and in the midst of doing that that, out. and
1: in the midst of doing that we image God and part of what we image is the way in which God has cared for us. I really think at the mm. core of work is the idea of, of stewardship on the one end. That's what we're doing. But what we're giving is service. And so, so I'm a steward on the one hand. I have a responsibility to do my part and to, and to you know till the part of the garden that I'm operating in, that kind of thing. But what I give is service. Mm -hmm. And uh, regardless of what my role is in my work, at some point, if it's meaningful and productive work, it is a service that's being provided. It enables people to do something that otherwise they might not be able to do. You know, uh, I don't. You know, someone designed this chair, and I'm sitting in it, and I'm glad they did a good job of the design. Cause Me too.
2: <laughs> 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 We'd have back problems.
1: Exactly right. So you know, so that's you know, that's one element. I there, there's an illustration that I give that I like to have fun with, and it's um, it's let's think about what it takes for you to have a bowl of Wheaties in the morning.
2: A and lot how, of people have a of Wheaties.
1: How many people? I mean how think and and there are lots of levels to think about it you know there's the person who grows the grain there's what happens to the sure. grain processes the grain that okay that's just one level Okay, as I say, but people don't, you know, the, the truck doesn't back up to your door and just dump the grain on your front on your front lawn. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's a it's a good thing. Interesting. Your neighbors wouldn't with, like you. Exactly
1: right. Yeah, I need to take care of my wheaties on <laughs> the front lawn. You know, we don't do that. It ends up in a yeah. box, yeah. right? Yeah. There are the companies that do all that and make that happen. There's all the transport that takes place. There are the people who build the roads so the transport can take place, or any flying. that ta- – you know, I mean, by the time you're all done, my analogy is. It's like the credits at the end of a movie, you know, where you're going through all the different things. You're aware of the actors and the writers and the photographers and the director, but there are tons of other people who've been at work to make that film actually so that you can have that, you know, couple of hours of entertainment. It's the same kind of picture. And and we take all that for granted, and every step of it, no matter what level you are working, You know, I I, when I do this illustration, I talk about the truck drivers who haul the grain, you know, to the processing plant or whatever. You know, the roads that they're on, and a little guy who has a sign says "stop and go" because they're doing road work on the that allows the traffic to be managed. I mean, even it's all service. It is.
0: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture.
2: Well, I love again. I love that thought, and uh, one of the things that's opened my eyes is we talk a lot about. And if we're pastors or leaders, we talk a lot about the biblical one another's of brotherly love, which is really important in a community right. Right, as Christians. I don't think we've thought about the importance of neighborly love mm-hmm. at that level. Right. What I've tried to at least say, and it's opened my. Eyes to, for example, Luke chapter ten is an example in the book *The Economics and Real Love* is to see how we need to think about what we do every day. That that person driving that box of wheaties, right, is really loving me as a neighbor. Mm-hmm. They really are fulfilling the great commandment. Mm-hmm. But, but open our eyes and imagination to how important it is to. Do the great commandment in our daily work, and how we love our neighbor, both global and local, through the global economy. So I think it opens our eyes and hearts to the significance of what we do every day of yeah, loving our neighbor. And
1: I think it's so easy in the midst of a job where you do that, where you're mass producing something or whatever, to lose the personal nature of what it is that's taking place. You know, you 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 can feel like a wheel in a big cog, and yeah. and yeah. And, yeah. and what uh, train of Activity, but and get lost in it. But actually, you know, you are contributing to something that makes something possible for lots of people every day. And uh, and if if that weren't there, there might be another company doing the same thing that you're doing. Sure. But, but if you took that role out of our society, you know, s- certain things would be missed. You know, you might get Captain Crunch in some of these, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, but uh, I, I just think it's a helpful way to think about it, to personalize it. I want, but I want to shift a little bit. I want to talk about the pastor for a second, because, um, you know, most pastors are consumed, I think it would be a fair word, with what happens on Sunday. Mm-hmm the management of the church, the ministries of the church, you know, the message for the church, all those kinds of things. And I want to give you another metaphor uh, to, to just kind of think about. You look out on the pews and you see people, and so you might think, well, I see a mother, I see a father, I see children, you know, they might think of it that way. Or I might—I have an old person, a young person, you know, you might think of it demographically mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure pastors think enough. Uh, What I call have vocational eyes as they preach. You know, I've got the teacher, the lawyer, Mm -hmm. the doctor, Mm -hmm. the accountant, the person who works on the highways, the truck driver, whatever, that variety. And I sometimes think they might be helped by having that lens.
2: I think they would too. But that's a shift of our thinking. Mm -hmm. For many of us pastors, we are focused on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And as I've said, Sunday does matter. We need to do a good work with the gathered church. That's a part of our stewardship. But our Sundays change when our heart and mind is on Monday. You know, in Ephesians, we're talking about equipping the saints for the work of service. I like your word service, not ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our equipping is to equip them when we gather on a Sunday, if it's a Sunday, to equip them not to do well on Sunday or to be good Sunday Christians. It's equip them well as a teacher mm-hmm. right, on Monday. Right. The majority of their life. I've used this uh, language before, but my shift, my aha came several years ago when I realized and I've used the word malpractice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe that's provocative, but that's how I believe I was. It wasn't like intentional, but I was spending the majority of my time. It was sub-practice. Sub-practice. Yeah. <laughs> that's a way to say it. I was spending the majority of my time yeah. equipping people for the smallest minority right. of their life. And part of my problem was I was vocationally and institutionally isolated from my people. Mm-hmm. So I had to get out, mm-hmm. not only have a, a more – rich theology that guided my praxis and my paradigm but I had to get out with my people mm-hmm. and understand their Monday world mm-hmm. and when I began to make workplace visits I began to listen ask questions sunday began to change and so, how I preached the languages and,
1: and and most pastors who I talk to when we're talking about this and the, and they're in the kind of the traditional church mode will will say to me things like well I don't understand that world or that world I, I feel awkward walking into that world. There are lots of ways that they describe it, but it's this discomfort of they recognize that what they do in the way that they live and what it takes for them to do their life's work um, is something very different than what the average person goes through in an average job. And um, it's like there's this chasm Mm -hmm. between what the pastor is doing and what (laughs) – if I can say it this way – the bulk of his congregation is doing during the week. And, and then the question becomes, all right, so who's going to build the bridge to walk across that chasm, and who's going to take the initiative to walk across that chasm? And how in the world are the pastor and the, and the person in the pew connect in such a way that, they're, that the preaching and teaching connects to the world where the
2: bulk of the people are living? this is a big challenge and made the Flourish were trying to help that. Mm-hmm. But I, I've seen it different ways. I've actually seen congregational members, mm-hmm. or if we call them laity, I don't use that word yeah, much.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Who have
2: actually initiated That's this. right. They've taken their pastor Work. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, they've yeah. initiated like pastor come see me. <laughs> so take your pastor to the work. Okay. Right. Don't I mean, take him to the shed. Take yeah, him to the yeah, work. Help, yeah. Help, like help them understand. Take the initiative and say, "This is my world." Yeah. And and a lot of pastors, increasing around the country, are also taking initiative with mm-hmm. their parishioners to say, "Could I visit with you in your workplace?" Or if I can't be at your workplace for security or some reason, let's meet at a Starbucks nearby, and I want to learn about your world. Yeah. So part of it's our own need for humility, Daryl. Mm-hmm. I mean, those of us who are pastors, mm-hmm. because. You know we're experts on Sunday. And right. We should be right yes. or in theology and whatever. But it's a wonderful reversal of roles and the priesthood of believers. That's right. And a lot of love when we enter into another world and we're the learners.
1: Yeah. So the, I think the point of what we're talking about here is is that if I, if we're going to talk about blame, what causes this? It's actually a two way street. Uh, on the one hand, and, and, although I do think the pastor has a little bit of responsibility in this sense, the Pastor is responsible for the overall spiritual well-being of his parishioners. That's what shepherding is. Right. Um, so to the extent that there's neglect of where the parishioner is, there is pastoral neglect. This is what you were defining as malpractice. So it might be, like I said, it might be sub practice. It might be you were ministering in this little yeah. space right here. And it was all yeah, this all other this, stuff I wasn't going on. Thinking about it, yeah. Yeah. And so um and but on the other hand, the person who's in the pew who needs the help needs to be able to um spur on one another to love and good deeds yes. <laughs> and send a signal back saying this isn't, he- this isn't helping me in the place where I'm living and I need to help take the initiative in being able to do that. When that happens, course, then there are very good things taking place, and uh, and part of what we have talked about consistently in the faith work and economics discussions that we've had has been the the opening up of this channel. I think uh, maybe mm-hmm. the maybe the image to use is think of it as a clogged artery. Yeah, you know, yeah, it needs a stent or needs <laughs> yeah, something exactly right to open, <laughs> open it, it up. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and in the midst of that exchange. Um, get a free flow of, of blood and oxygen and well-being um, to the person and to the church. And and so when Monday comes around, you know, Monday is not an afterthought in what's going on in the, in the service. It's actually part of the point.
2: It is indeed. And I, and I would suggest say that as pastors, I'm a pastor, so if, if you're a pastor this morning or today uh, in this conversation, I do think we need to take the initiative. Mm -hmm. I have across the country congregational members who come to me and say, I love my pastor, but they don't understand my world. How do I help them understand my world? I love them, I'm committed to them, and I say, well, do your best, but I want to talk to the pastors for a minute because mm-hmm. I think we need to take the initiative to understand their world. And there is a clogged artery. Yeah. We need to take the initiative mm-hmm. because there's so much at stake, Daryl. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if we are not equipping people as disciples of Jesus in the majority of their life, if the gospel is not speaking into their main part of their life. We really are not equipping them. Right? Well not
1: only that, we're reinforcing something yeah. that undercuts good discipleship, which is a secular sacred secular divide. Yeah. Which says this part of your life is holy and this part of your life is something else, whatever that is. And then that space gets filled
2: with all kinds of junk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I don't think we grasp many of us, I'll say as a pastor. For many years, I didn't grasp what was at stake, mm-hmm. and I'm going to suggest there's at least five things at stake if we are not equipping people for Monday, mm-hmm. if we're not really focused on their world, if we're more concerned how well we do on Sunday than how well our people do on Monday. That's a really important question for all of us, mm-hmm. I mean, to be really honest, right, right our right. time, our talent, our treasures, our right. prayers, our mission. But I think there are five things quickly that are at stake that animate me and made to flourish and why we exist, to try to help pastors be more effective God-honoring and discipling. Their parishioners. First of all, the worship of God's at stake mm-hmm. because many people think of what they do on Sunday's worship mm-hmm. and what they do on Monday's work, and there's not a connection. And biblically, if we go back to Genesis, we we'll won't do it now, but, but there's a seamlessness of work and worship in God's design. Mm-hmm. We don't worship our work, but mm-hmm. work is a big part of our worship. Mm-hmm. But the worship of God is on the line, right? Mm-hmm. But also the spiritual formation of God's people. If we don't equip them to be spiritually formed, empowered by the Spirit, practicing the presence of God in their Monday life, then they're not being spiritually formed in the majority of their life. That's right. right. And we should all care about that. That's right. But then also the gospel's at stake. Gospel incarnation. Firstly, how we live the gospel because mm-hmm. the gospel often needs to be seen before it's heard. Mm-hmm. But also also gospel proclamation. The greatest mission field of the gospel is not Sunday morning in a in a congregational church. It is in the Monday workplace where God's people are sent. I'm going to come back to that okay, point I'm just down saying, the road. Keep going. We, we should care about the gospel. Yeah. And gospel proclamation. But the vast majority where of places where people are going to really hear the gospel is not me preaching on Sunday morning. I mean, I wish that was true in one way, but it's how God designed us to be the sent church. And the last thing is the common goods at stake. Mm -hmm. So I mean, at least those five, there could be more, but Mm -hmm. are so at stake if we have a Sunday to Monday gap. And transparently, in my experience and across the country, that I think the greatest Sunday to Monday gap, and I'm sad to say this, and it's been true in my history, it's not so much people sitting in the pew. Or on the chair, they have a dissonance. Like, the gospel should really be speaking in this. I'm not sure how, yeah. but the greatest gap of Sunday to Monday, I think, is in the pulpits. Mm-hmm. I think it's many of us. Yeah, and and
1: and this and here here's the here's the irony in this, because another issue that we often discuss is okay. So you present this, and what what prevents churches from going there? Okay, okay. And what prevents churches from going there? Oftentimes, is this sense of Well, if I push people to be engaged in this way on the outside, who's actually going to help with the ministries of the church that it needs in order to function on the inside? And they see this as a kind of competition. And so given the choice between, the, as they see it, the life and vitality of their congregation versus the sending out of these human resources, if I can say it that way, they choose the congregation. And stay focused on the internal ministry. But the irony of it, I I think, is that God has actually designed an evangelistic program for the church. Imagine and that, that.
2: program yes. is the going, you know. And, and in a global marketplace where a, the world is all together. And
1: when you when you image <laughs> yes. God and not just talk about him. Okay, and this is very important. When you image God and don't just talk about him, and you do it in the workplace through your people who are equipped, uh, all of a sudden there's the building of relationships that are with people who have no connection to the church who then become interested in what the church is about. And all of a sudden, this—you know—you, you know—we've you, you know, gone through. I mean, I—I don't know how many evangelistic programs I've been through in my lifetime and exposure to the church. There's been mm-hmm. an array of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the most obvious evangelistic program that the church could possibly have has been right in front of us yeah.
2: the whole time by the design of the way God does it. And what is also amazing to me, and I'm not a historian, yeah. but what's amazing when I look out. On the congregation that I serve and the many vocations there, like you said, that's I mean, right. In a global, information, economic world, the people that I try to serve and equip are interacting with neighbors in India as well as next door. That's right. That week, I mean, can you imagine the history of the world? That's right. Where the people in our congregations are touching. People in the globe through global business. Yeah,
1: my line is it's is amazing. that one of the ways in which our world has changed significantly uh, in the last century is that the world has gotten simultaneously bigger and smaller. There are more people. But we're also in tighter communication with one another. We're much more aware of who other people are. I mean, it used to be in the history of people that you know they lived in a fifty-mile radius and that was all that they knew and had contact with. Uh, Those days are exceptional now. And uh, I have a brother who lives within a five-mile radius. We joke about it. I do all the travel. He should also be doing. But uh, but you know but for most people now their contacts are all over the place their relationships are all over they're running into people whose backgrounds are very different from their own
2: and it, and it is and it's their work oftentimes that has taken them there it's one of the central intersections of modern life i mean that's what and and that's what's so amazing from a missional standpoint or a mission the world is our parish mm-hmm. right in one sense and our people god's people that we're equipping are deeply involved in a world parish now with all kinds of people who won't step inside the church, at least yet. Mm-hmm. But they're ambassadors, and how do we equip them in their Monday worlds to not only live the gospel, but to share the gospel to a neighbor in the city and the neighbor across the globe? And so I mean, it's when, an I, when
1: I live that out, and I live that out in a way that is distinctive without being braggadocious or ornery <laughs> yeah. or hostile. I go th- go through your levels of possibility here. I just live it out what, what, what James Hunter has called faithful presence. Uh, when I live it out and and a difference stands out, some people pause, see it and go, what makes you tick? Hmm. Right. You know how are you, why are you treating me that way? Why are you doing that? That's not the way I'm normally treated.
2: So let me just give you one little snippet, because just this morning, early, Mm -hmm. uh, I was looking at some of my emails, and Sunday, recently, uh, our teaching team is going through Genesis. So I had the joy on the campus I serve to unpack some of the work themes in Genesis 1 and 2. So I get an email back from one of our parishioners, and I'll use the name Sue, it's not Mm -hmm. her real name, but – and it's a short email, and she sends me a picture. An example of how transformational this is when we mm-hmm. begin to teach what God's Word teaches, and we in the live it. And she shows me a picture. She and her husband lead this. This is amazing. This gourmet cookie company. Okay, right? that's her Monday world. <laughs> okay, she's got a business, okay. employees, and I she's like making chocolate the world chips. I like chocolate I mean, chips I'm just on Mondays. I'm for it. <clears throat> she's the cookie lady. Okay, right, I mean, right. I mean, all right, great, great, great. Yeah. She's loving her neighbor. Both. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, she sends me a picture, and on it, she's gathered her employees around this bowl of – or this plate of cookies. And she has a big sign, yay, it's Monday. Uh Now, you think about her teaching and equipping, she's understanding, yes, Sunday matters. Mm -hmm. And it's important for her to be there Sunday. But she's connecting Sunday to Monday. And so her theology and her gospel understanding in her life as an employer, she's not saying, hey, Christian, she's saying, "Yay! it's Monday. It's Mm -hmm. an energy for their company. But where does she get that? She understands. Thanks God, it's Monday. She's bringing and translating that biblical framework without being biblical, and people are celebrating Monday. What a shift versus celebrating Friday for yeah, a company. Right. But I mean, she's exactly. taking that from Sunday, and she sent me a picture, and I go, "Yay! So, mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep. Yep. Yay! It's Monday. But and I mean, that's the shift. Exactly. Yeah. And and <laughs> so and that's why we
1: call it whole life discipleship because it really is dealing with. <laughs> I have a little fun here. It's dealing with the holes in life that get filled when you think about the whole week. right? Um, and in the midst of that, you all of a sudden realize that, that if I'm really equipping people for what it is they're going to be doing, that space from 9 to 5 needs to be filled. The illustrations that I use in the pulpit yeah. need to be, at least on occasion, yeah. 9 to 5 illustrations, and they need to be more – about. It, need, it needs to be about more than simply, you know, how do you share Christ at your work. It's, right. it's got to be things like how do you do your work, how do you view your work, how do you, how do you sense the purpose of God and what he's called you to do and to be.
2: Yeah, and can I go back to one thing you Mm -hmm. raised earlier? Because I hear this a lot. I was with a denominational executive team not long ago, and we were talking about whole life discipleship, and it's a large denomination. And as we talked about it theologically, they said, this is exactly what we need to be doing. This is our big issue. And then another person said, we also have the biggest challenge. And that is exactly what you were talking about, is that on the ground in churches in this denomination, there is this residual fear that if we're really equipping people and focusing on their scattered, sent world, mm-hmm. that volunteerism in the church is going to dry up. So let me address that briefly because there's a couple things that are, that's very real, and, yeah. and, and we need. I use the word family chores. See, I, mean, I use the word
1: form. schizophrenic. We need to be schizophrenic yeah, about how but we I, view. But I'm saying, if, if <laughs> yeah. first
2: of all, I think that's that's real, but I think that's a zero sum game. I yeah. think it's missing God's abundance. But a couple things I've I've learned in in my own parish, mm-hmm. and it's a larger church context now. Is that when we communicate, we are a family. This is a family metaphor. I use there are family chores, mm-hmm. not negative, but I mean there are things yeah. we do to help each other, right? Right. To to be a family, right. And with that metaphor, I find people finding their place of being part of the family. It might be in their giving, serving, mm-hmm. nursery, um, but I find that really helpful. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is to trust God with those people who will do nursery and youth ministry, that's important. That's right. But it really is a theological issue and a missional issue. Yes. I mean, I would rather Uh have fewer volunteers and I don't think that's what's going to happen if you're faithful. Yeah. And be more faithful to our discipleship mission. Yeah. Right. Because that's the other idea. Uh, that's what right. happens if we don't? We are not fulfilling our equipping mission. Well,
1: we shouldn't see them in competition with one another. and the, and my phrase is schizophrenic. And what I mean by that is, is that if you understand the body and the way it works, there are some people dedicated to some tasks, and there are other people dedicated to other tasks, and we all don't need to be doing the same thing. So. If I understand, that I understand God's going to call some people to be he- more heavily engaged on the outside of the church. God is going to call other people to be more engaged on the inside of the church, and we all need to appreciate one another. We need to appreciate that array of callings, and we need to reinforce it, and we need to emphasize that because in our tendency to want to homogenize all our experience and make everybody try and do and be the same, we actually cut ourselves off. From the dynamic and variety that allows the church to to you know
2: to have those um, tentacles or whatever picture you want to use out into the world. Right, and there's probably seasons of life. You know, sometimes we have exactly. retirees, if you want to use that language, that have more time and service within the walls. Right. As well as in the community. But, but I, I find seasons of life. Like a young stay at home right. mom. How much time does she have, or a stay-at-home spouse, right. for that kind of her service? ministry right now? Yeah, Through like, kids,
1: yeah, and yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, we've covered an array of stuff, um, but I, I think the important message mm-hmm. that's coming across here is that when you think about when you think about faith and work, you're actually thinking about life, and uh, when you take work out of faith, you've truncated life. And uh, truncated discipleship is not what the Bible calls us
2: to. That's right. And that is where I would say the tendency is malpractice or (laughs) subpractice. So I just want to encourage us, all of us who are called to serve the bride in a paid way or a Mm -hmm. service, to think about our focus of. Integrating faith work and economic wisdom, as it relates to whole life discipleship, and that's what Made to Flourish we're trying to do across the country, is help pastors do that and churches be more fruitful and effective.
1: Well, we're really excited about Made to Flourish. We're obviously excited about this idea of of whole life discipleship, and the and the turn that it can represent mm-hmm. for the church. I think it's an important, crucial turn in a society that that has has lost its furniture for God talk and we can use that metaphor, mm-hmm. and in the process the living out of what the presence of the gospel means for a different way of life become, become the words that we use that set up uh, the words we may be able to use later as a result.
2: Yeah, and I remind the congregation that I serve is that yes, we're to be bold with our words. Uh, we never should lose the importance of proclamation, but I think increasingly people need to see the gospel. Because they lack the habitual furniture of the mind, right? Mm-hmm. They need to see the gospel and see its plausibility uh, and goodness mm-hmm. lived out. And its beauty. And its beauty. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. Uh, and as they do, then the words have connection and meaning. And
1: resonance. Yep. Exactly. That's our hope. Right? That's right. And so we're made to flourish. We are made to flourish. Yeah, thanks Tom for coming in and to chat with, with us, Jeremy. and we and we thank you for joining us on the table. We hope you'll join us again soon. If you have a topic that you would like us to consider for a future episode, please email us at the at We'll take it under consideration and and hopefully be able to address it. And again, we thank you for being a part of the table and hope you'll join us again soon.